This is the Sound the Foghorn Podcast. Cut off by Mata, throws it out front, Dumba scores! Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, notes, and much more. Fiala's in for Minnesota. Fiala cuts to the middle. Wade scores! Greenway in. Saved by Miska. Rebound. Erickson. They score! Jordan Greenway beats Miska. And poked away Kaprizov. In for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill. Now, here are your hosts. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyak. And Justin Buck. Hello, and welcome in to a Sound the Foghorn. Brett Marshall joined today by just Zeke Boyat, our good friend Justin Baki uh, is not doing the show today. He had a death in the family, so we are wishing uh, all the best uh, to him and his family. Uh, but other than that, uh, happy to be with Zeke to talk some wild hockey today. Uh, Zeke, how you doing today, my friend? I'm uh, doing very good. Uh, you know, just uh, had some canes for dinner tonight, which is very good as always. Oh, so uh, jealous. Aside, aside from the waiting line for half hour, which, you know, I think is worth it, but, you know, it's totally kind of frustrating. It. It, it's, yeah, it's very worth it. But, you know, also just, you have to be your stocks hockey uh, starting tomorrow. I have the next week and a half off. So uh, just looking forward to that. And, yeah, no, just happy to be here to uh, talk about, the, you know, the last few games and everything going on tonight. Yeah, spring break season, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have a lot to get to today, so we won't waste too much time. Uh, I'll start today. We don't have a prospect update because that's usually Justin and we don't want to step on his toes. So we'll get to that next week, a lengthy prospect update. But uh, so we'll jump right into the analytics segment today. Today we're talking about PDO, which probably sounds pretty scary, but it's actually really simple. I legit can't tell you what PDO stands for. I've Googled it and can't find the answer, like what P, D, and O stand for. I assume it's an acronym for something, but basically what PDO is, is an official measure of luck, pretty much. So it's a stat that's only calculated at five on five, and it's the sum of either a team, a player, or a lines on a shooting percentage and save percentage. So the benchmark is basically 100%, um, meaning you know, a, a good save percentage on ice would be considered 90%, and a good shooting percentage would be 10%. Add those together, you get 100%. Pretty simple, straightforward. Um, as I mentioned, it can be used to evaluate players, lines, D pairs, teams, however you want to look at it. Um, I did want to talk about this one today because um, as I was writing my Kirill Kaprizov article today, I discovered that the Minnesota Wild had the top two lines in the NHL in terms of PDO, <laughs> um, which I don't, it could be a good thing or a bad mm-hmm. thing uh, considering it's the luck, but uh, Parisi, Hartman, Felino lead the way. At 117.5%. And then the uh, lettuce line is second at 115.55. Uh, largely in part for, uh, for the lettuce line for sure, for a 
about a 20% shooting percentage, uh, which is pretty ridiculous. Pair that with a 95% save percentage. They're finding a lot of luck, but they're also creating yep. it uh, for themselves. <laughs> Uh, and a good rule of thumb is that most lines pretty much will regress over a larger sample. So mm-hmm. pretty much every line player team will finish right around that uh, that that 100 mark. So something to watch for, and and maybe uh, maybe something for us to talk about too. Just how those lines probably weren't weren't sustainable, but mm-hmm. I don't think uh, too many people uh, would have disputed that. Yeah, no, I d- definitely agree. And I think uh, the big example that I always remember when it comes to when people are talking about PDO, they a lot of times, especially around here, people will talk about uh, if anyone can, if a lot of you can remember the 2011, 2012 uh, Wild, who were, you know, I believe, you know, this was a long time ago, I believe they were the best team in the league at right around Christmas or whatever at that time. And then after that, I think they went something like 10 and 40 or something ridiculous to end the year. Like, I, I don't know exactly, but like, I think it was just, uh, they're a perfect example of getting a, a ton of luck. And I think that was the year before the whole freezing suited thing. So, no, that's just kind of like, you know, the first example I always tend to think of when uh, someone brings that stat up. Yeah, so it's kind of a fun one. It's an interesting one if you're ever curious about whether or not, you know, a line or a player's actually playing well if they're finding mm-hmm. some good luck. But, hey, sometimes it's better uh, to be lucky than good. What's up, Victor Rask? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all for PDO, Zeke. We'll uh, turn it over to you here for This Week in Wild History. Yeah, so for uh, this uh, week's edition of This Week in Wild History, after taking last week off, we're just going to be looking back on a trade that took place on this day, on March 4th in 2014, when the Wild traded a 2014 fourth-round pick to the Edmonton Oilers uh, in exchange for a Russian goaltender, Ilya Brzgalov. Obviously, you know, everyone, he's the subject of a lot of memes, great personality and all that. But, you know, this was a trade at the time. Uh, where the Wild were, I think, were just looking to show up their goaltending. They had Darcy Kemper, obviously, who was a obviously was good, was playing fairly well that year. But you know, he was young, and they were just looking to show up that depth. And Brzgalov, who, after being bought out by the Flyers from his huge contract the year before, had kind of rebounded and played pretty well with the Wild in the 12 games and in the playoffs when he was thrust into action. But uh, as I said, they traded a 2014 fourth round pick to Edmonton for Brzgalov and. Uh, that pick ended up being, uh, which was originally acquired, uh, also kind of ironically from the Buffalo Sabers in the Jason Pommaville trade, which we talked about I think a few weeks ago. And that they used that pick to select defense Swedish defenseman William Lagesson, who has played 16 games in NHL for the Oilers and has played uh, eight games this year, recording two assists. So uh, Edmonton did actually get uh, and seemingly a decent player out of that trade. But yeah, no, I think that was uh, just uh, you know that obviously with Kemper being hurt in the playoffs, about I think it was game four or five, six, whatever, or actually game seven, uh, he was kind of thrust into action. And while his, you know, pure save percentage goals against numbers weren't great, uh, obviously with his personally all that, yeah, he was very popular in a short time here. And it was, uh, was a big part of that uh, 2014 wild playoff run to game six against Chicago in the second round. Yeah, he was a very big part of that team and just a really interesting human being too. And it was just fun mm-hmm. to have Briz in a wild uniform, even if it was just for, for, for a short period oh, yeah. of time. I like to have mm-hmm. him here. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it for this week in wild history and your weekly analytics segment. Zeke, let's get into the big news from the week. And that is yep. that Zach Parisi uh, was a healthy scratch last night uh, for maybe non wild listeners or wild fans who have been under a rock. Basically the reasoning of Parisi's benching was he wanted to get Marcus Flino a hat trick uh, the net became empty. He stayed on the ice. And while the rest of the line changed, uh, Parisi decided, hey, I don't want to change on a back check. Ended up staying out for about a minute and a half. And uh, the pass 
across ice, hit his stick, goes right to Mark Stone. Stone feeds Tuck, Tuck, ties, Tuck ties the game, and then Vegas wins in overtime, and he sits as a result. Zeke, uh, your first thoughts on the Prezi uh, scratch and what you kind of made of the whole situation. Yeah, well, I guess I will just say uh, I had, you know, I if you follow us, follow me on Twitter, you probably saw I, I was a little bit, I guess, heated yesterday, so I was kind of happy this podcast was tonight instead of yesterday. So <laughs> give me that twenty four hours to maybe just not uh, completely just be totally reactive to it. Hey, way uh, to but, own it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I you know, I think now that I look back, I never really disagreed uh, with it because I mean, obviously. Uh, with the whole ever since Bill Guerin was coming in, it was uh, a big point in his, you know, opening press conference and all that to come in and change the culture. And obviously, uh, Dean Evison has some influence in that, too. So it was definitely, I think, from that standpoint, the right decision that, you know, you make a mistake that, you know, I wouldn't say totally cost the team the game. But I mean, obviously, it did have a major impact and you kind of led to the tying goal. So I'm, I completely agree with the decision. I think it was the right one. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't I don't never didn't really have any particular problems with the decision per se especially when uh you know Prezi obviously has not been good in pretty much any facet of the game this year so I guess I wouldn't just say I had any problem with the decision but more with some of the reaction which well I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit but no I think it was a right decision you know if you want to you want to keep it the same for everyone in the room regardless of you know obviously how many games you've played or what your salary is and all that kind of stuff yeah I completely agree that it was the right decision I mean it's just a situation where I think the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was reading the quote that uh, Parisi kind of talked about following the scratch, basically saying, well, I wanted to help Marcus Lino get the hat trick, and then I didn't think I should change. To me, it seemed much more like a teammate first and player first attitude versus kind of that team first attitude. And, you know, you look at a wild team that's been very team first this year, just in every facet with rolling four lines with really equal ice time. You look at a guy like Kaprizov, who we know for sure is a team first mm-hmm. guy. And I don't know if he necessarily meant the quote that way, but I think that's just kind of how it came across. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And you, you hear him say too that, Hey, my teammates are behind me, which if, you know, if, if that's the case, that probably doesn't make management too happy either. And, I think this is just another ripple in the disconnect between Zach Parisi and management. And at this point, it really makes you wonder how how much harder now is maybe Bill Guerin just seeing, hey, is there a fit for Zach somewhere else? Because I, I just see this relationship going in the wrong way yeah. at this point. I don't know if they can get much for him. At this point, it might just be worth taking on an Andrew Ladd or something that you know is not going to play. But, you know, Jerry Mayhew and you know some other guys have looked at least capable and – You've mm-hmm. got, you know, a slew of wingers like Matt Boldy and stuff that might need a spot to play in next year anyway. So it, it to me, it just really muddies the water for Zach Parisi's future here. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with the whole situation, I guess. Yeah, and I think you're uh, you're you're definitely right that you know I think it was going back a couple summers ago in 2018 when uh, uh, he first met with Paul Fenton when he was hired, basically kind of voicing his displeasure that he wanted to go, you know, somewhere he wanted to win a Stanley Cup, and he was starting to see that you know that's not really what the direct where the direction the team was going at the time, and you know he obviously could tell the writing on the wall that you know he wasn't really going to be. I guess relied upon beat the guy anymore. So, you know, that obviously I think we've known that for a little while now that uh, because I think because of his competitive nature and want to win that that's uh, kind of driven him the last few years. And he's not always seemed, you know, the most, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he still seems like he's happy, like when he scores or he's celebrating all that, but obviously things haven't been right the last couple of years. And as you said, especially the last, you know, year or two. And, uh, 
you know, I would agree that uh, you, you should, you know, definitely try to find a trade partner. But, uh, you know, it's obviously, like you said, going to be incredibly difficult. I mean, if if they have issues with uh, potential trades of a guy like Matt Dumber or any other player around the league who's, you know, a quality younger player because of $6 million salary, I, mean, I, I guess I can't really imagine what it would take to move a guy who's 36, not playing well and is getting paid until he's 40, seven and a half million bucks. But uh, I guess it's, it's probably, it might be possible, definitely something they should explore. But uh, I don't know, I guess overall, like I explained, you know, yesterday on Twitter that, you know, while some of the quotes were definitely that, as, as you brought up, Brett, were a little bit kind of fishy in the way of, you know, oh, you wish you would have, you know, said something more along the lines of, oh, that was my bad. It won't happen again. Something like that. And he kind of took the, right. It didn't you know, seem like he owned up to it really. Kind of yeah, he basically, mm-hmm, he, and he basically said he he directly said, you know, I disagree with the decision, which I think it's fine to disagree with the decision, but you know, I also don't know if you want to come out and say that because you know, and like as you said, it's kind of separating a creating almost seems potentially a divide between him and the coaching staff management, as you brought up, but uh, but you know, I think that's just uh, kind of been a thing for a couple of years now, and more, I guess, just kind of wrap up uh, for me at least, I just think. A part of my frustration is just this constant notion that people have that the old guys in the team, the guys who are getting paid, getting paid a lot of money, are for somehow always have been a problem in the locker room. Have always been these bad teammates. And I know that's not what I'm saying, but there's always seems to be these people. Like I was seeing on Twitter, people were like celebrating this happening. And while I get you want there to be that standard that we talked about, or you know, you're held accountable for your actions. You know, I, I just I guess I don't really get why we're celebrating you know, that we have to get to a point where we have to scratch a guy who's been one of the most important players to this team in their history and is still under contract for a long time. But I just, I, I, I just don't quite understand the people who uh, will insist that, you know, guys like him and Suter uh, are just, you know, bad teammates, all this stuff that will, and they use this kind of as their own, but no, anyways, I was I'm kind of rambling, but I don't know. That was more of my frustration of the actual decision, which I think as, you know, as you just explained, Brett there, we've probably kind of known about that kind of stuff going behind the scenes for a couple of years now, at least. Yeah. I think the same people that were quote unquote happy that Peruzzi was scratched in, in the sense of a, I don't like Zach Peruzzi are the same people that were yelling strip the C from Miko yep. Koivu. And that probably thought Joe Maurer was a terrible player. Oh too. God. Oh boy. Uh, I think it's <laughs> all not... that, that same crowd. So mm-hmm. yeah. It, and it doesn't help Peruzzi's case that he's, I mean, he's definitely not right this year. I mean, he just, Mm-hmm. he's just missing something in his game I can't pinpoint what it is and I mean just I mean overall his defensive effort has looked a little lackluster to me it doesn't seem like he's backtracking as hard as he usually does and you know the the numbers and stuff kind of back it up but you just hope that maybe this kind of lights a fire under his ass and he comes back you know hungry and you know willing to be a team player and I, he's got his earn his way back up the lineup mm-hmm. and they've seen how well you know Greenway's been great Fiala's been great Zuccarello's been great Caprizov's been great those are the top four wingers right now, and I don't, I don't see any mm-hmm. four of them slowing down to a point where Parisi takes yeah. one of those four spots back anytime soon. So he's got to accept his role, and you know maybe he's got to turn his head more toward def- you know a defense first role with where he's playing, and instead of you know trying to be all offense all the time. You know, I think uh, you just mentioned a good point of accepting his role as kind of a third line player. And I think, uh, you know, the direct example is with Miko Koivu last year, who, you know, forever has been in the Wilds top six, top line, every situation. And last season he was, you know, kind of pushed down to that fourth line role and he seemed to, you know, take that pretty well and still went out to work and was great defensively and all that. So, you know, obviously they're not the same players, but I think that's a really great point that you would hope that he could just, 
understand that while it's probably a pride thing too that you know he thinks of himself still i'm guessing as this top player who you know scoring a bunch of goals can lead the team you know all that kind of stuff and it's not necessarily a bad thing to think like that but as you know we talked about when that gets in the way of the the team that's that's it's not good and uh, yeah no just hope that uh you know, it doesn't become like a, a bad thing that like stews between him and, you know, his thoughts toward the coaching staff and all that here for very long. For sure. And we'll get to uh, maybe some line combos a little bit later on in the show, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what his return to lineup looks like with, with uh, mm-hmm. and how he's deployed uh, tomorrow night. So l- let's go now. Um, of course, last week we were riding a high. The Wild, I believe at the time, had won four in a row. Um, and then went on to win the next two games, uh, Friday, Saturday. We were on a six-game winning streak. And then uh, the last two games, that came to a, to a screeching halt. We talked about uh, the late tying goal and then the overtime win um, as the Wild were decimated by Mark Stone uh, with five primary assists. And then just a bizarre kind of 5-1 to one game last night where they I actually thought they played really well for the most part. Yep. And just Marc-Andre Fleury played probably arguably one of the best games individually by a goaltender this season there's only so much you can do i mean mm-hmm. you had fiala spurgeon kaprizov ulerik Sinek. i think michael russo said combined for something like 32 of their 39 shot attempts and shots Sheesh. on goal i think i mean those are the you know those are probably four of the guys you want doing stuff and just mm-hmm. the goal sent conflory had some unbelievable saves there's one i can recall too it was like a shot from the point gets tipped flurry never sees the thing and all of a sudden the puck just bounces yeah. off his blocker and it's mm-hmm. like, you can't even make it up. I mean, it's just one of those nights where they just couldn't beat him. And overall, I'm not too alarmed by what happened. I mean, obviously, the, the meltdown in the third period is not ideal. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the Wild put a benchmark in themselves. Like, hey, we, this team we can we can skate with and we can play with. There's just some things we got to clean up and we'll be fine. And, I mean, you know, they also did this basically without two-thirds of their third line as well. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think, uh, as you said, they I agree that they did play uh, very well last night, uh, even despite the score of the game. And I think, you know, I can understand people's disappointment. I certainly was with the first game, you know, with being up, getting those four second period goals and being up 4-2 late in the third and basically not having a lot of shot the first, like, 11 minutes of that period. You know, you definitely, that would have been really nice to get that win. It was it would kind of have been like a statement win, say, come in, you know, beat Vegas 4-2, handle them pretty well the last half of the game. You know, that obviously would have been great, and it, it sucks it didn't happen. But, uh, you know, I, at least at the very least, they got a point out of that game, which is better than uh, nothing. And then, obviously, we talked about, as you said, this last game, uh, Marc-Andre Fleur was great. And overall, I think just, you know, a lot of people are going, this is like a benchmark thing. And said that, uh, you know, we, we can't – some people were saying, you know, you can't read too much into any a lot of the previous games because they're against bad teams, and which I agree to an extent. But uh, I don't think that this was a complete failure because, uh, as you did say, they – they were competitive. They were fast with them. They were getting, you know, physical in the corners with them. But, uh, you know, you could just see that. Uh, I think the main takeaway is that just, I mean, Vegas is a better team. They're a Stanley Cup contender because not only can they score and produce offense, but they're one of the better defensive teams in the league. And, I mean, as you brought up Mark Stone, he's like a perfect example of it. And I was uh, seeing some tweets. I don't know if it was from you or someone else that was saying he's uh, essentially, a, you know, a center. He plays like a, a top center without winning the faceoff. So, he was obviously a major factor in both the games. And, you know, uh, just just kind of a frustrating series from that point that he couldn't snag a win out of there. But uh, I think there was, you know, definitely a lot of positive standpoints. But, uh, you know, also, of course, uh, old friend Alex Tuck had to sneak in there with a couple of goals, a few points too, which is pretty usual. Just but, twisting uh, the knife. Yeah. Huh? 
it's just so frustrating because I remember, you know, just go off a little bit, but I remember there was an article, I think, I can't remember, on The Athletic somewhere a few months ago saying that the last couple of years he's really started to add a speed element to his game. And I can remember in the playoffs several times where he would like blew by guys for these nice breakaway yep. goals and it just – it just is like, oh, man. I mean, it stings a little bit less now that we've seen uh, uh, Atkin Greenway take steps, so that helps a little bit. But uh, it definitely does sting a little bit more each time you play them when you go, oh, that was the that was the guy we just gave away for literally nothing uh, now. But, uh, no, I think a lot, of, a lot of positives, I think, even though two losses in these games. Yeah, and I, maybe it's just the way I'm wired, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as – as rough as life can be sometimes, I think I always just try to find positives. And especially when yeah. it comes to watching the wild, I'm like, okay, they played bad. What are the good things we can take away from it? And I think that's mm-hmm. something this fan base, Minnesota sports fans in general, I know yeah. we're like a, we're a poverty state when it comes to sports. I know we haven't won championships, but just try to think positive. All right, people, mm-hmm. if yeah. one, they got points in seven, their last eight, heck they're playing hockey right now. I mean, that that's great. Yeah. You get to watch Kirill Kaprizov. We've got a great prospect pool. Things are bright. Um, and they just played a pretty dang good two-game set um, with arguably probably the second-best team in the NHL. So stop being so negative. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, moving on a little bit here, and ironically I say uh, let's be positive, but I want to get a little bit <laughs> negative here for a second. But um, Cam Talbot, kind of a weird two games for him too. Yeah. Uh, gives up. I believe in total will be what nine goals in two games mm-hmm. if my math is right there right yeah, yeah five in the empty. first one four last mm-hmm. night and it he didn't necessarily play bad and i think last night especially he was hung out to dry on a couple mm-hmm. of odd man rushes but he, it wasn't quite the same cam Talbot we saw prior to covid you know it seemed vegas was definitely targeting high glove side i think beat him there two or three times on the on the nine goals they scored there and mm-hmm. He just seemed a little shaky, and I'm just wondering if starting him last night was the right move. Capo Kacken had been so good on the road. I get one to get Talbot back in a rhythm, but I don't know. It just seemed like that was a little bit of a questionable start. I'm just it wasn't a great return for him. Uh, it just hasn't been completely sharp uh, through his first two games back. Yeah, no, I think uh, just, I think kind of a key point to remember is that you know that he was the guy obviously that they signed in free agency, so he's kind of a uh, Garen the management group's guy per se so i think they you know they're obviously going to want even with captain play well i think he'll still get um, somewhat to some kind of majority of the starts but uh, no you're, you're right he was he wasn't terrible especially in the first game there were some times you know in both games where you know he did make a few good saves uh, especially last night he had the, the one great one on max patch right in the slot uh, he had a, a couple, couple of patch ready last yeah night. oh yeah just completely stoned him point blank right in front of the net so yeah those were there there was there it wasn't all bad like you said he wasn't terrible but you're, you're definitely right in that you know you weren't as you know confident even just watching uh you know that he was going to make the save every time and you know as you said especially last night there was a lot of odd man rushes when the wild were pinching late in the game so you can't entirely blame that him but uh, it's definitely a concern but i think also on the positive side i mean i know we keep coming back and forth that but like you know with the fact that kakinen is playing pretty well uh so far this season it kind of i think gives them the opportunity hopefully that they you know will continue to take it to just kind of balance out the starts a little bit closer to 50 50 you know because especially with playing a bunch of games like i don't think the wild play pretty much a game every other day until the end of this month or something crazy like that that'll obviously be key this year so no i mean it's it's definitely a little concerning as you said the stuff with the getting beat high glove a lot and just overall not looking as sharp as he was but uh you know i think uh 
it'll just be uh, good for maybe him to get to rest here maybe tomorrow night in Arizona, get Kakinen in, and uh, hopefully the next couple of games he'll uh, conti- just you know continue to get better because before these two games he was actually, I think, doing pretty well. Yeah, he was. And his overall numbers in the season still aren't terrible, and mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to, you know, two yeah. subpar games aren't the end of the world, but you just like mm-hmm. to see him, you know, maybe have one good start in those two games just to maybe get a little feeling yeah. back, but... It would not surprise me if uh, Kapil Kakinen leads the team onto the ice tomorrow. I think maybe that first game, and then maybe Talbot goes in the second of the back-to-backs. Um, unless, yeah. you know, you know, if Kakinen comes and shuts out the Coyotes or something, he might go back-to-back just to ride the hot hand. But it wouldn't surprise me here if, you know, I I think maybe they kind of alternate maybe the next week or so, and then they just maybe just start mm-hmm. riding the hot hand. If you win, you play. If you lose, we're going to the other guy um, coming down the stretch. So, uh, And then the other thing... Yeah, we don't need to talk about that because it's yeah not a big deal. Uh, let's go positive here and talk about a guy who I think really – I mean, it's a guy we've pumped tires on. I did yep. last week making him my pro of the week. But I think just a guy that – you want to talk about a guy, you know, outside of Kirill Kaprizov who with every passing game seems to get better and better, more confident. It's got to be Nico Sturm. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. I mean, you know, he was a, obviously a college free agent out of Clarkson. Uh, you know, I – I think this last week they released his uh, Becoming Wild episode on YouTube and on Fox Sports North, which is really interesting. But uh, no, he's definitely seems like the kind of guy who has who's had kind of a, been kind of an underdog throughout his hockey career and has always had a chip on his shoulder, which you know make has made him a very hard worker. And you know, I think the main uh, one of the things I've taken away from his game that you know that I'm sure we've talked about is just that he seems to have a pretty sneaky like speedy skating ability, mm-hmm. like. There's been several, you know, when he's put pressuring on pucks, you know, on the forecheck, he seems to be getting in there pretty fast. And uh, even with when he's carrying the puck and trying to create offense, you know, he's not particularly dynamically talented either way, but, he, you know, he can move up the ice well, he can make plays. And, uh, you know, I'm sure with Arbolus, but I'm honestly kind of surprised that, uh, as we've said before, that he's not uh, so far getting an opportunity higher up in the lineup, considering, you know, the guys that the Wild have at center and, you know, kind of more up in the lineup at other spots. But no, he's definitely been. I guess I wouldn't say surprise, but uh, it's it's nice for sure to see that he's starting to get rewarded on the score sheet and offensively. Yeah, I mean to me, it's it's you know what, what I watch and it's just like you said, he's got some deceptive speed and it's it's almost Brodeen like and it's just a really mm-hmm. long, smooth, powerful stride, and he makes plays with it too. I mean, I, there's a play I can recall. I believe it was in the first game against Vegas. Minnesota mm-hmm. was kind of pinned in their own zone for a while. Finally got a forecheck. They chip a puck in. Nico Sturm goes full speed, beats the guy to the corner, bodies him out, and then just kind of pokes a puck free. And the next minute and a half, the Wild were in the zone on offense. I don't think they ended up scoring, but it's just stuff like that which can just you know turn momentum. And mm-hmm. he's been great on the penalty kill. Just And no matter what the score is, what time in the game is every shift, he just seems to be just busting his tail off which you just love to mm-hmm. see and the his underlying analytics really back up everything we see too um he leads the wild and Corsi Ford per 60 <laughs> he's second on the team only behind Jewel Erickson Eck and expected goals at a really impressive 60 percent um which anytime you're in the 60s no matter how many minutes night yeah. you're playing you're doing well um you know, like you said, he's gotten the score sheet lately, three goals and an assist, I think, and that's all in, I think, the last four or five games. He's got a high danger percentage that's, you know, up there to 64%, also good for second on the team. Like, this guy's doing all the right things, and he's only getting 10 and a half mm-hmm. minutes ice time per game. And like you said, I think his time moves up, and I believe, 
I think it's just been a couple of face-offs, but I think he's I think he's won over 50% of his face-offs the last couple of games too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to talk about line combinations, but let's just get to him now because I think it just kind of uh, it's it's a nice flow here. Um, I think I brought this up last night, talked with a few other Wild fans, uh, Alexander mm-hmm. and Brandon, and I forget who the uh, the third person was in that conversation. Um, and I said I, I would really like to see maybe Nico Sturm get a get a look between Matt Zuccarello and Kirill Kaprizov. You have a guy like we talked about good good speed, mm-hmm. good movement. We've seen him kind of have a nose for the net. He's responsible defensively, which has been maybe a little bit of a deficiency with with Kaprizov and Zuccarello as they've been kind of that quick attack. So maybe just get this guy who can play a two hundred foot game, kind of push the pace a little bit. I think he could be a really good fit, and maybe do a lot of the similar things at an elevated level compared to Victor Rask. And I think we looked at, well, he's kind of the bottom six guy. Well, Victor Rask came into the year as the 13th forward, and he ended up as the second-line center. So who's to say a guy like Nico Sturm wouldn't maybe be a really good fit there? And I think it's a spot I'd like to just just to see him try there. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've tried everyone else there. Why not uh, yeah. give Nico Sturm a look? Yeah, I definitely agree because, I mean, like you said, it's not like he's uh, – I mean, obviously we can see he's you know probably playing better than some of their other options. And you know at that point, it can't really get any much worse or different because – while I think he's, you know, obviously uh, guys like him and Eric Smith aren't particularly skilled, uh, you know, they're their best options now uh, to be in those two spots. And if a guy like Eric Smith can uh, can succeed alongside skilled guys like Fiala and Kaprizov and, and et cetera, I think uh, he, he can definitely uh, fit in that top six role. It's just, uh, you know, obviously just a matter of whether they'll give him that chance. But I, I will say that it does seem like uh, on Sturm that, you know, he in that first game in Vegas, he was – out there when the goalie was pulled defending and he has been out putting out in those kind of situations uh frequently so uh, he definitely seems to have the trust of the coaching staff but i mean like we said uh, it's just kind of a matter of time hopefully before he gets uh, an upwards chance and you know as for you know if you move Sturm up to the second line there like uh, i don't know like for like where does a guy like rask go where does bukesteg like would you put the uh, Rask is the third line center or no I mean I know Ryan Hartman's there now but he's hurt for who knows how long so I guess that's kind of first question that comes to my mind of you know who would you move there yeah I would I would say I would probably keep you know Greenway Erickson Ekfiel as your first line because you know the point production hasn't been crazy but they've just been such a good line Mm -hmm. at least in terms of play driving I mean Erickson Ek I think last night had 1.22 individual expected goals and somehow didn't score and (laughs) You know, Fiala's been playing great. I think I think he's still. I mean, what's Fiala got now? Uh, like, I think he's got points in his. You know, some some nice to points yeah. in his last couple of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think second line, like we said, you go Zuccarello, Sturm, and then uh, Kaprizov, and then yeah, I think maybe Rass slides into that third line spot with for now maybe Felino and Parisi, I guess. Um, if, yeah. if Parisi comes back there, and then I I would keep you know. And then that would make the fourth line would be then what? Um, Bukestad, Benino, and a wall. Yeah, uh, probably a taxi squad guy maybe because yeah, either Mayhew or and then I think if Hartman yeah. comes back, you put Hartman back with Felino and the others, mm-hmm. and then maybe slide Rask to the wing um, on that fourth yeah, line. Sure. But I mean Victor Rask. I mean the production's there, but I don't think mm-hmm. it's he's. I think he's been more of a passenger. Um, yeah, to those no. two than than the reason yeah, that they're no. being successful. So, and I wrote a little bit about that today as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, you're definitely right. Uh, you know, he's you know he's not terrible. I mean, he's not terrible, but he does ha- obviously he does have some skill. So from that standpoint, he 
sometimes can work with guys over a couple of game stretch, like when they got hot there. But yeah, no, he's you know everything about him just you. I mean, you can see what he's on ice. He can't skate very well, and especially against a team like Vegas, that was really exposed having him in their top six. But I just think you know, Lions for when Hartman's back, you know, he's he's been a guy that's been you know really impressive. And I guess I don't really know what his faceoff stats are, but I know they've been uh, right off the top of my head. But I know they've been obviously been putting him in that third line center and you know aside from being his usual self which is you know a hard worker kind of a little bit of hard nose kind of bottom six forward who you know he at one point was drafted as a center in the late first round so he and we have seen some skill in offensive production this year so i don't know i think he's just i mean everyone's talked about but he's just been really impressive and i think uh that definitely had an impact in the you know the last game yesterday in vegas uh missing him because you know without him you got to you got to move guys into the lineup like uh, Kyle Rowe and Jeremy, who were who were fine, but you know they're kind of minorly kind of bench guys. So he's his impact loss was uh, definitely felt in the last game. Yeah, and I I think overall I I think you know in the couple games Jeremy Hughes played, I think he's played four now, the most of any taxi squad guys. He's been pretty good, but there was on that first goal last night him, and there was one other wild player I couldn't catch who it was in the replay, but mm-hmm. basically completely yeah. coasted on the back check, which allowed Alex Tuck mm-hmm. basically untouched. Um, in the middle, I think his quote post game was it was almost too easy. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think that's just to play. You mean you watch the way you know we talk about Nico Sturm's hustle. I think Ryan Hartman's right there as well. Just in the effort mm-hmm. he brings every I don't think Ryan Hartman's coasting back into the zone there. So it's it's even just yeah. little plays like that that might just disrupted it uh, a little bit. Um, and I think the other wrinkle that could be added, I mean, obviously he's not on the trip, but uh, Marcus Johansson, I would think, oh, is yeah. probably nearing, you know, now that the Wild have lost a couple, um, mm-hmm. will probably draw back into the lineup here at some point too. And it wouldn't surprise me if as soon as he's back, um, they maybe stick him at center between um, uh, Zuccarello and Kaprizov just to see if it works. I don't know if it'll stick, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't. it wouldn't surprise me if when, when he's back, that's where he slots in right away um against my better judgment <laughs> yeah no yeah, i mean i think sure obviously they'll give him a chance i think if that was up to me i would try to you know figure out a way to slot him in kind of on the third line because i don't know if i you know like you said they'll probably try him at center but if that doesn't work i think uh, for now ideally i don't really want to do too much tinkering with the top two lines like like you said the guys like greenway and fiala together and eric Snick, they're not scoring a ton right now but they have you know, played well in a lot of their facets of the game. And that you could say the same thing with top two lines that even the last few games, they've still been playing well, even with less points. So I think uh, it, it, that'll definitely be interesting to see when he comes back. Cause you know, I think he's, you know, before he was hurt, he had the one, the one really good game against LA. And obviously he had the one kind of OT winner, which, you know, wasn't fantastical, but he has scored a couple of times and he's been, I think he's just been fine. So I guess I'm not uh, too eager to have him back, but also at the same time, I mean, I guess it might be, uh, good to get a guy at center between Kaprizov and Zuccarello, who I think is obviously a better skater than Victor Ask. Who knows if that would work long term, but that could also definitely be a you know kind of a maybe improvement. I mean, I think he's a step up from Ask, but you know we'll we'll see obviously how that goes. Yeah, and I think the reality here of this conversation you know leads us nicely into a kind of our next topic, and it's the reality that you know despite the fact that the Wild yep. have a lot of guys that can play center. There still aren't really any outside of Yul Eriksson-Eck that can play as a top six center. And I think you look where the Wild are at and you knew, yeah, they might have been on the market for, you know, to see if they could find a center, whether, you know, a rental or, or a permanent fix. Trade deadline's coming up now in about a month, April 12th, best day of the year, um, a.k.a. my birthday. Um <laughs> 
heck of a birthday present just to sit and watch trade deadline coverage all day. <laughs> like, not saying that sarcastically, like kind of excited. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bummed that I mean, it's pandemic, so who knows if there'll be a ton of trades or not. But you know, coming into the year, we talked about you know Garen kind of loaded up the chamber with, you know, he's got Ian Cole, Nick Benino, Marcus Johansson, uh, Nick Bugstead. Uh, am I forgetting anyone? Uh, like There's one more in there. And Hartman too. Hmm. I yeah, guess on a, I mean, these are all guys that, you know, on the final year of their contract, we thought, hey, you might be able to, you know, shift them out and bring in some futures. But you look at where the Wild are now, you look at how they've been competitive. Have things changed to the point where instead of maybe a seller, the Wild either might now be kind of in a, a hockey trade type of mode or maybe even kind of a, a buy mode where maybe they move out one of, you know, their own first round mm-hmm. pick if they know they're in the playoffs. It's not going to be a lottery pick anymore. And then maybe, maybe look into instead of maybe trying to reel someone in for agency, do you think they maybe take a shot at maybe getting a, maybe not a number one, but maybe even going after number two um, to maybe slot in here, maybe sometime in the next month or so? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's, I think it's a possibility. I mean, before this, you know, the kind of the thing from uh, Russo has always been, you know, and, you know, they're not going to, has for a while has been pretty much saying that, you know, he doesn't think they're going to be buying too much. I mean, obviously there's all the factors that the pandemic has brought that, you know, teams, you can't, it's kind of hard to do trades where there's players going back for like, you know, each taking money on. Uh, Cause you know, a lot of te- even a lot of teams, there's been reports recently that, you know, that even if they are good in the playoffs with no fans in the building and no, not a lot of revenue from there that they don't want to, you know, spend a lot of money in assets wise to get just potentially rentals. But I think, uh, you know, an interesting uh, kind of piece in uh, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet's uh, recent 31 Thoughts column where he was talking about, you know, how it's in a way a buyer's market out there because, you know, there's not uh, a ton of buyers. He said, essentially, he said, one interesting possibility, Minnesota, unafraid GM and challenging for top spot in the West. Now, you know, who knows what that means? Uh, you know, it could mean, like you said, I think they already got their defensive kind of like rental shore up and Ian Cole in the season who's been good. But I think they definitely could look at a center option. I mean, I know uh, you were talking on Twitter with a few people earlier today of, you know, some names that you guys are throwing around. But I guess it to me, I just honestly, you know, don't really have anybody on the top of my head. But uh, I definitely would be interested in kind of going after uh, kind of a person to fill in at the second line center. Because, I mean, like you said, it's going to be kind of hard to get a first line center right now. And I mean, they're just not going to trade for a guy like Jack Eichel in the middle of the season or at all. So no, I, I think I would definitely be interested, especially, you know, it's, it's not, it's not uh, set in stone, set in stone whatsoever, obviously that they're going to be in the playoffs, but I think they'll have a pretty decent chance to get in there. And uh, while I wouldn't be, you know, like I just said, going all in on some top guy, cause I, I don't want to mortgage too much of, you know, future assets or prospects right now. Uh, I definitely would be uh, interested in seeing if they would uh, potentially go after kind of a guy to fill in at the second line center spot. Yeah, and obviously the tricky part is going to be, you know, the while they're pretty much right against the cap. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So any trade they do have to make, they either have, they're going to have to find a way to make the salary work, which definitely complicates things. But I would just say I don't think there may be as much of a seller as they were before. That might just mm-hmm. mean maybe they stand pat, you know, maybe they mm-hmm. just say, yeah, you know, we, we're, we're just going to run with what we got. And unless some offer comes and blows them away, but I mean, personally outside of Ian Cole, I don't really think, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, Ryan Hartman might be a guy that just, yeah. you know, becomes of interest. And if the wild, as Russo's touched on plenty, if they don't, you know, think they can get him at a number in arbitration that they think fits with the long-term plan. I think he's a guy that's going to have value, a guy, you know, that can yeah. play center, that can play wing, on a playoff team is probably really, you know, a guy that you'd love to have in your bottom six. 
um, and killing penalties. So I think as of now, I would actually consider him probably their most valuable mm-hmm. asset, not named Matt Dumba. Um, but we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, I'd, I just don't think and his Bonino and I mean not, now that you know Johansson's missed part of the season, Bonino's yeah. been less than impressive. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you might be able to trade him for futures, but those futures might be like, ah, oh, great, you got an extra third round pick. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, if someone pays oh. you a second or a first for either of those two, you take that and run immediately. Yeah, but I just I don't <laughs> see. I don't see those two just the way they've played this year bringing a whole lot of trade value unless you know people are trading well you know less on what's happened this year and more on well in the past yep. they've been really good in the playoffs which yep. that's a possibility but um i just don't see those two's value being very very high again i think it's going to be hartman and dumba mm-hmm. probably the two most likely on the trade board but i don't think either of them's very likely to be moved yeah no i think uh, i think you i think you're definitely right i mean you know i like you said if they don't uh you said this kind of when we were talking in our group chat for the podcast earlier yesterday too, that you think that, you know, they'll either do something big or, you know, to a certain extent, do something big or do nothing at all. And I think that's, you know, I think that's probably right. Cause I mean, obviously the name that's been even wild fans keep throwing out is the guy in Sam Bennett in Calgary, who was a former fourth overall pick, but has you know, not really turned into much more than like a fine bottom six forward. So I don't think they'll, while Russo did say in an article that, you know, a guy like him, they have time for, I don't think that they'll go for just like, uh, you know, another bottom six guy who they already have in, in plentiful. So no, I think you're definitely right that, you know, they'll either do something fairly significant or they'll just do nothing at all and just let the season uh, play out. However it does. Yeah. I have a, uh, I'm kind of buddies with a guy. I don't know him super personally, but I've been following this Instagram account mm-hmm. um, in the dome. They're a very similar podcast to our own kind of independently run, um, Calgary Flames podcast, and I just kind of asked about Sam Bennett, and he's like, he's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. like Sam Bennett very much, and that's kind of where I'm at, not not just on his opinion, but just you know, from what I've looked at and when I've yeah. watched Sam Bennett, he kind of had you know one little good stretch of the playoffs, but to me that's not enough for – I mean, people complain about, oh, the Wild are filled with a bunch of third liners. You're getting, yeah. you're getting mm-hmm. maybe a third liner in Bennett, probably more of a fourth liner. I it's not worth it for me, especially now that Hartman's proven he can play center. I think Hartman, I mm-hmm. think, is a better version of everything that Sam Bennett is. So, yeah. no interest for me there personally. But I could, I could be proven wrong. But I'm just there's no interest for me in, in Sam mm-hmm. Bennett at all. Same. Um, one more thing in the realm of 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 trades, and I I want to touch on this a little bit. I don't think I've I haven't talked too much about this on Twitter, but. And again, it's about Matt Dumba, and I th- I think the the reality is is the Wild can't carry twenty eight million dollars in their top four defensemen. Add Suzuki yep. in there, thirty million in your top five. It's just not feasible. But I think you just look at a guy like Kirill Kaprizov, and just there's very clearly some chemistry between um the two guys. I mean, we saw him hanging out. Um, yeah. I discovered recently from uh, Macy. I'm a fan of the show and a, a mutual friend of the podcast. Um, she posted a Kirill Kaprizov TikTok. I'm like, oh, sweet, Kirill's on TikTok. I go to his TikTok. His most recent TikTok is uh, the same clip of, of Dumba, you know, when they were watching the World Juniors. So, oh, yeah. And, and I bring this up because you look at what's happened, and I'm not saying this is what the Wilds' future looks like, but you look at a team like Vancouver who last year, or this, coming into the season, got rid of um, Markstrom and Tanev. And from what I read kind of from Canucks media is that, you know, Tanev was kind of, you know, uh, Quinn Hughes' dad in a way. And we've seen Hughes kind of struggle a bit 
and they wondered if maybe ruining that chemistry may have, you know, affected his game a little bit. And, like, that's kind of in the back of my mind with, you know, we see this friendship between Kaprizov and Dumba. And, again, I don't think it's feasible to keep him, but I think it just makes – it just adds another wrinkle to that whole situation of what what do we do with Matt Dumba. And I, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of wanted to bring it up and just get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not too different. Uh, you know, obviously, as you said, it's – seems fairly likely that, uh, you know, at the very least, he won't be here past, you know, the end of the last three years of his contract that he's on right now uh, for a variety of reasons you just explained. But, no, it's it's definitely going to be really tough because, I mean, you saw in his post-game interview against that uh, L.A. Kings team, they asked about him. He went, you know, oh, he's a great kid. He's like, you know, he's my brother. And then uh, stuff like that, you know. It's just like to say brother in Russian. It's like, all right, yeah, just oh, run my heart out right now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was like, it was like, oh, man, that's great. That's great. But then you go, oh, then you start to think, oh, well, he's probably not, might not even be here past four or five months from now. And, right. you know, as, as you said, that's just for, for a variety of reasons, obviously. It'll be tough to see Matt Dumba go. You know, obviously, we you know, even a couple, just a couple years ago, we all thought, you know, he was the guy that, we you know, we have to keep because he was – you know, he's exciting, he's enthusiastic, he can score, he can hit, he can, you know, even this year, his defense has been a lot better part of his game for him, and obviously everyone knows about how great a person he is uh, in the community here, and just overall, and uh, fighting for social justice uh, issues, and also trying to, you know, turn around the culture of the sport for the better, so obviously everyone knows all that stuff, and he's already a great guy, but uh, yeah, no, the, the, all the stuff we've seen with him and Kaprizov, it's, uh, as you said, it's it's just my main takeaway is it's going to be really hard just to see him go either like either way it happens. And uh, I think that's I had never really thought about the whole you know kind of comparison to Vancouver with guys like Tanner and Markstrom. That's uh, that you brought up. That's an interesting point. Uh, I guess I don't know. I guess I wouldn't let that stop you from making from getting rid of him if you have to, especially if you're you know trading for him for a good th- good asset or good player person in return. But uh, no, I just my main thought is just going to be incredibly hard to see him go. Yeah, and you know, just gotta mentally prepare yourself. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but it it just seems inevitable. But yeah, I think the thing is too is I mean it it, it sounds. I mean I think Matt Dumbo's the one that we see kind of with Caprice. Mm-hmm. So you know maybe he's one of the better friends on the team, but we know the chemistry is there with Jonas Brodin too. Those two are best buds. Oh, yeah. and, um, but I think all these guys understand too. Hockey's a business and. I think just you see kind of see it from the dollar dollar bill Kirill shirts and oh, yeah. <laughs> with his latest interview too is that Kaprizov's just a pretty well liked guy in the locker room and mm-hmm. I think he's buddies with a lot of guys there. I mean, if you read Ryan Suter had him over a bunch, um, you know, when he first got here and you know there's an age yep. gap there too, but you know, you know, so I I, I think and I, I don't know if I can say I don't know what the chemistry in the Vancouver locker room looks like, but I'm willing to bet it's not what the chemistry in the Wild locker room looks like. Yeah. Um, just judging on what I can tell, I mean, it just seems like this is a group of guy that's pretty close. Um, I mean, Zach Parisi even went as far to try to get a guy to hat trick the other night. I think that just kind of speaks <laughs> to, you know, whether oh, yeah. it's team first or not, I think it just shows, you know, these guys are really working every night for each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I said I was worried about it, but now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think, you know, ultimately these players understand hockey is a business and, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that comes first. And as much as they want to appease players, you know, personal needs, it can't always be the case. And, and- yeah, I think uh, just, you know, kind of last thing on kind of this whole uh, Dumba preset thing, I think uh, you can just tell when Dumba's playing his interviews and all this. I mean, there was one quote, I think, earlier this season where, there, where he was asked about all the trade rumors in the offseason after uh, Brodine signed his extension. He was saying, uh, I don't, you know, I've been, they've been, I've been traded many times, you know, ever since I got here. And he said, you know, directly that I want to be here. And you can just tell. Obviously, you know, the way he plays, uh, the way he just is great with all of his teammates and is in the community that uh, 
which I mean, I already kind of said this, but you know, just you can tell that he just really loves being here and loves playing for this team. And so, you know, I just that's just going to be kind of tough to see go from that that kind of personal standpoint. But I mean, as you said, uh, I they probably they obviously do uh, understand that the game's business. So uh, yeah, no. Yep. All right. Well, we'll watch what happens with Dumbo. Obviously, it'll be a big story whether it's the trade deadline or probably pre-expansion because ultimately his whatever ends up happening or not happening with Dumbo will greatly affect what the Wild do in expansion. Um, yeah. Because his his movement alone is the difference between protecting you know four key forwards or one key, extra key forward. So something yeah. to watch. But uh, enough on Dumbo. Uh, let's see. Anything else from just kind of the the past week or so wild related that we that we didn't hit and I think we got most of the stuff in my notes here. Yeah, I think we did get uh, you know get most of it, but I just think uh, just kind of another key point that we could bring up is just and I know we've been talking about it the whole season, even last year, but uh, just how good Marcus Foligno has been, you know, in that third line spot. I mean, he's got seven goals, twelve and points. Second this on year. the team in yeah. goals, third Which on is... the team in points. Who is this guy? <laughs> Which is uh, insane and, uh, you know, pretty crazy to think that, as we brought up, people have been bringing up on Twitter recently that when they originally made that trade, you know, people were pretty furious for whatever reason about that trade. And There's uh, an article you know, on the very website you write for about how the Wild oh, completely yeah. lost that trade. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, just well, looking just to double check on the trade and, mm-hmm. like, one of the first search results was a Hockey Wilderness article and I'm like, yeah. oh, this did not yeah, age well, was... but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was... Because I think at the time, I think Palmville had like a 48-point season and people still, uh, Scandell was fine, but people, you know, had kind of liked him as more of a fan favorite. But yeah, no, that's obviously turned out well. And I mean, you know, he's obviously not going to continue scoring a lot, but I mean, a I lot of know, his man, goals. I man, the moose is loose. Yeah. <laughs> Four goals in his last seven well, shots. Man's on a mission. Pretty, yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty insane, like I said. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously he's just a... Incredibly hard worker, goes into the forecheck, you know, a couple of his last two goals in these games, the one was a centering pass that bounced off his skate and then his knee into the net. And the other one was, a, you know, jamming away at the rebound just before the defenseman came to swipe it out of the crease. So, you know, and I mean, another key point, too, is with Prezi, a scratch, he's been wearing, seemingly frequently uh, been the guy wearing the A in the absence of other players. So he's, I just think, been, uh, you know, obviously, the, you know, who knows if the offense will continue, but uh, it's just a... Uh, Great to see him playing well, especially, you know, after getting that uh, contract extension uh, early in the season, which I think will be uh, very much well worth it for what he brings on and off the ice. Yeah, just I, there's nothing bad I can say about Marcus Foligno. Yeah. And it's kind of I funny, know. too. So I don't remember what the promotion was, but it was like two years ago, Wells Fargo was running this like wild promotion or mm-hmm. whatever, and they were giving out like these free mystery wild prizes. And it's like, oh, you know, and. I think I ended up just like on a whim, like DMing him, like, "Hey, I, I don't know if you have any of these, if you're still doing this giveaway or not, but like, I'd be interested." And they're like, "Yeah, we actually got one prize left." And I told him, "You know what? Because I think <laughs> with Wells Fargo and kind of sucked out to him, or whatever." And like, send mm-hmm. me your address, and we'll send you the mystery prize. I'm like, "Okay." And I'm in college, and this big long box shows up. I open it up. It's an autographed <laughs> Marcus Foligno stick. And at the oh. time, this was kind of. I think this was like right around the time we traded for him too, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Of all the players I could have gotten, I got a Marcus Foligno autograph stick. Great. And now I'm like, bro, I got a freaking Marcus Foligno autograph stick. This thing's sweet. So I just have it chilling in my room right now. But 
You know, mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect analogy for what you just brought up. It's like at oh, the yeah. beginning, it's like, who is this guy? And now, you know, I don't have a bad thing to say about the dude. He's scoring goals. He's punching dudes' faces in. <laughs> I just would like to see him, st- you know, I want to see someone stand up for Kaprizov. He did for himself last mm-hmm. night. He, he gave, oh, uh, yeah. he <laughs> did. I think it was Chandler Stevenson, a nice little run there after uh, what what I think is one of the dirtiest plays in hockey outside the slew foot is kind of the push down on, on the hip. I've had it happen to me in hockey, and it, it infuriating mm. because there is nothing you can do as a player to defend it nope. and like i don't know what the penalty is because it's not technically a cross check they don't have checking for behind the nhl i think the best thing i could do would be like either unsportsmanlike or roughing but to me it's just it's a dangerous play and there's no place for it and it's it's part of my french it's just a pussy it's a pussy shit play yeah um, i don't like it but mm. i would just yeah, like no, to it... see maybe someone just go out there and you know hit a guy hard and or you know force him to drop the gloves like hey none of that shit um i don't yeah. you know kaprizov can stand up for himself and props to the kid too for his you know as much as guys have been in his ear and stuff he's still only taken mm-hmm. one minor penalty this year and i don't even think it's for retaliatory yeah it was a hook yeah. on a play he got like tur- had a turnover on but he's kirill kaprizov could be a guy that maybe is in lady bing conversation in the future so yeah no, i mean yeah for sure and i think uh you know, as you said, uh, you obviously, you know, sometimes uh, with a guy like uh, even with Drew Doughty, who is, you know, in the games mm-hmm. they played, he's been all over him. And even then he's given him a few jabs back, which is good to see. Uh, you know, I do remember last night I was looking, there was uh, some Vegas fans and uh, kind of reporters who were, you know, uh, wondering how he didn't get a penalty for going back at Chandler Stevenson. But it's like, well, I mean, you know, you just missed him, completely shoved him from the back up into the ground. So, but uh, no, I, I, I agree with, pretty much everything you just said there yeah all right well let's move on here uh we get to see a new opponent again for the first time this year uh tomorrow saturday back-to-backs against the arizona coyotes who have been just a really streaky team they you know they took they won the series against st louis four to three um and then i believe got then they lost two in a row the avs and they beat la the other night but i think la outshot them i think it might have been like in the 40s to the 20s Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of been a weird team, but you know, it's kind of what we expected a team that's relied heavily on Kemper and Ranta. And, um, one guy, you know, I encourage wild fans just to watch for is Connor Garland. Kind of this, I think he was a, I think he was like a fifth round pick, yeah. um, for the coyotes. And then kind of last year, he really broke onto the scene. And this year he is, he, he's their guy. He's got seven goals and 13 assists, um, in 21 games. He's riding a four game point streak right now. He's a heck of a player. Yeah, no, he is definitely uh, one of the biggest offensive threats. And, uh, and you know, like you said, he was a kind of fifth-round pick, was really good in the QMJHL for a couple of years. So he's definitely got to watch for. And, you know, they do still, you know, guys like uh, Christian Dvorak, Clayton Keller are skilled. But, you know, as you said, no one on that team has, has really historically and even this year puts up a ton of points or is particularly dynamic offensively. But, uh, you know, I, like I mentioned this on Twitter a couple of times too, you know, obviously with – uh, because as you said, they've kind of last couple seasons have relied really upon uh, Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, who have both been uh, very good goalies, very solid over the last couple of years, and you know, kind of one of the better tandems in the league. And I think that's for me as one thing for Wild fans to like, I guess, look forward to or just kind of look for is how Darcy Kemper uh, responds or is in any of the games that he plays. Because maybe it's a little different now with all this, the Koivus and the Stalls gone, but every time it seems like the Wild play the Coyotes and he's in net, it seems like he at some point in the game just loses it and looks like the Darcy Kemper that was towards the end of his tenure in Minnesota where you score one goal 
then after that you can just just keep on shooting and they'll just go in so i think that's definitely something to watch uh if you know if you're a wild fan because you know like i said he has that history it seems that uh, his former team kind of seems to get in his head at times but other than that he's you know i don't think he's i think he's been pretty good this year i don't know i guess i don't have the stats right in front of me but no that's that's definitely uh, the, their biggest strength, I think, in their team. Because, as you said, other than other than goaltending, there's nothing about the Coyotes that uh, particularly like excites you or puts you on alert as to well, you know we got to stop. The Wild have either. Yeah, no, that's for sure. They're they're kind of in a way just a uh, you know I think a little bit worse version of the Wild than that. They're not particularly you know dynamic offensively at least yet, but they have one area in goaltending or in defense where they're particularly strong so no i think it's just a good opportunity for wild to gain back some of the points that they lost in vegas yeah and your, your point on kemper i think if, if he gets the nod either friday or saturday i think if the the wild's goal should be to if, you, if they put one in on him in the first five minutes i think mm-hmm. they could get in their, get in his head real quick and maybe yeah. pop in three that period that's my call um if the wild score mm-hmm. a first period goal against kemper they score a three in the period you heard it here first um <laughs> and then after that uh so after two games against uh Arizona, they get one day off uh, Sunday, and then uh, they're right back at it like they were this week, Monday, Wednesday. Now at home uh, against Vegas, where I will assume they'll you know go back, watch film, make adjustments. One thing I did, one thing I did think they did really well last night was after Mark Stone com- basically completely torched another mm-hmm. night. Obviously, he did score a goal on the two on one, but I thought basically before that goal, they were really good at getting bodies on him, taking away his space. To me, that looked like a clear adjustment they made was to kind of really key in on, on Mark Stone. I think the the Erickson Eck line was out there plenty against him again, and I think they really took him out of the game for the most part last night, which was which was nice to see. And obviously, that maybe led to some dangerous chances for Pacioretty, which wasn't ideal. But um, yeah, so that, I think that'll you know just how how they adjust mm-hmm. and you know maybe they just. Maybe they just work on all right. How could we have beaten Fleury on this shot? What about yeah. on this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what did we do yeah. in game one that worked that didn't work in game two? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think uh, just uh, kind of another key point uh, against Vegas in the next couple of games is, you know, they seemed their penalty Wild's penalty kill recently seems to kind of not been the strongest, and especially, uh, you know, I think kind of one of the big differences in the last previous two games against Vegas was that you know obviously the Wild did not score on their opportunities, but I think Vegas had, you know, I think three power play balls in the two games and uh, i think that was really big difference so three for five in the series i believe yeah so yeah no that'll be that'll definitely i think that's definitely uh, another key like you mentioned with uh, kind of shutting down the stones and the patcheries that'll definitely be uh, another key just to you know not not let them take advantage of those extra opportunities especially when you know that you know there's probably unless the wilds just all sudden get hot on the power play there's you you know they're just never going to score as much in the power play either way so all right. Well, I think that does it for our wild topics. So we'll end this show as we do with most of our shows. We will go players of the week. Uh, just two, one, for, uh, you know, one pro, one amateur from each of us this week. Uh, we didn't ask Justin for his. Wanted him to have full focus on the fam and not worry about the show this week. So, Zeke, who do you got for your amateur of the week? Yeah, so for my amateur of the week this week, it's a little bit of a different one, but I'm going to go with uh, Swedish defenseman uh, Simon Johansson, who was a fifth-round pick of the Wild back in 2018, uh, 148th overall. Uh, he's kind of, was kind of, before his draft year, was a, 
he's, he was an overager when he was drafted, but he was a converted forward to a defenseman. So in, in the SHL this year, just overall, he played 37 games, only playing. He only had a goal and three assists for four points. But I was, you know, from the research I've done, it's a lot of that's been he's played really sheltered roles because a lot of he's, you know, an offensive guy. He's a forward playing defense essentially. But he was sent down recently to the second division uh, Swedish league, which is the Hockey Allsvenskan. And in the nine games played, uh, he's put up pretty good offensive numbers with a goal and nine assists for 10 points. And uh, I think is another guy that the wild, either it's this summer or next summer that they have decided to assign to, but no, he's uh, been having a pretty good offensive performance recently in the second division in Sweden. Looks like the Johansons are starting to find their stride a little bit. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. And mine, you want to talk about an overager. I've got 30 year old Gabriel Dumont um, <laughs> of the Iowa wild. He's got at least a point in all eight of Iowa's game this season. Five goals, five assists, plus two rating. Uh, drafted all the way back in 2009 in the fifth round uh, by Montreal. Signed uh, by the Wild as a free agent uh, in 2019. But, you know, just thought we'd give the you know the old man some respect. He's playing pretty well down there um, in Iowa. And, you know, I was kind of sitting there wondering, like, hey, what the heck is wrong with Iowa? Like, you know, they were so good last year. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they lost their – they lost the league MVP and leading goal scorer. <laughs> they lost the leading assist getter in Sam Annis. Oh, and by the way, their goaltender of the year, yeah, now playing for the Wild. Oh, and by the way, yep, Jerry Mayhew's in the taxi squad. Like, then I'm like, all right, it makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. pretty much right. the, you know, their three of their, you know, most important players are not on the team right now. And a lot of young guys, but they've had their struggles. And also, I mean, you have, I think, uh, Chicago is a combination of, uh, there's there's a couple teams that have like combination teams too, so it's like mm-hmm. like take the Wilds prospect pool and combine it with somebody else's, you know, it's going to be a better team probably too. Um, so I think that's probably factor in as well. But I think ultimately the good thing is to see is just that they're playing and we're getting you know the guys like yeah. you know Kellen Addison's and Adam Beckman's and stuff um, getting reps and obviously the WHL is resumed as well. So now it just remains uh, I think the OHL is the only league in Canada that hasn't really figured out how they're coming back yet which is which is odd but i don't think that affects any wild prospects especially considering marco rossi isn't going to be there so mm-hmm. yeah so gabriel dumont's mine uh pro of the week and then a pro of the week's next and uh, zeke we'll go to you again uh with your pro of the week here yeah, yeah for uh, my pro of the week i'm gonna go with uh new york islanders defenseman nick letty uh eden prairie uh, minnesota native yeah he was you know he his first few years in in the island with the Islanders, he was kind of a, putting up pretty decent offensive numbers, kind of a forty point guy. And the last couple of years, his his offense has gone down a little bit with something like twenty six and twenty one points the previous two seasons. But he's off to a pretty good start this year in the twenty two games played. He's got the goal of fourteen assists for fifteen points, and more specifically, he's had uh, ten points in his last eleven games played. So he's uh, been doing uh, pretty well on the off- on the score sheet uh, recently. I think he's pretty still a pretty decent defenseman for the Islanders. Has uh, been there for you know six or seven seasons now. And I mean, obviously, we talked about him on the history segment a few weeks ago. But uh, just no, it's just nice to see another Minnesota guy uh, doing well on another team. Without a doubt. And mine is going to be another Minnesota Wild player who I think we've talked about enough, but for some reason he hasn't gotten this award. So it's going to be Jewel Erickson Eck, or as I like to, as I like to call him, the, uh, the blue chart king. Um, <laughs> because on his uh, evolving wild uh, rampum chart, it's just it's so much blue, which mean, which is yeah. good. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, anyone who argues that he hasn't been the Wild's best all-around player in 2021 is not watching the same game that we all are. Uh, yep. leads the wild with eight goals this year, which I don't think anyone predicted um, at the you know third of the way through the season that Eck 
um, who had eight goals all of last year would have eight goals in his first 20 games yeah. this year. Um, so pretty cool for him. You know, this is really the breakout. I, I think nationally, internationally, he's starting to get noticed too. Um, really excited as well. Uh, Dom Luschijan and Russo are, are sounds like they're uh, putting out a uh, Julius yeah. Neck feature article tomorrow, which I'm really, really Me excited too. to read. So looking forward to that. But, you know, maybe some previews we'll talk about in there. Um, among the wild, Julius Neck is second in Corsi 4 percentage, first in high danger chance percentage, first in expected goals for. Um, his high danger chance percentage, not only best in the wild, fourth best in the NHL um, at even strength. Um, his his 5v5 expected goals for percentage is the second best in the NHL behind only Alexander Barkov. Um, with the, and that's just a minimum of 150 minutes played. Um, and then hit, if you adjust that for even strength, it only goes down to sixth. So, I mean, he has absolutely dominated a play this year. Um, as I mentioned before, 1.22 expected goals last night. I mean, Eckler's just all over the net. And it. I, I think he's... St- um, my my data here at at least at five on five shows that he has as many goals as he's expected to, but that doesn't include the power play. It just Eriksson just can't seem to quite finish around the net, um, as the numbers suggest he should. I don't know how to fix that, but I mean it's just it's just comforting to know that hey, when Eriksson is is on the ice, the other team probably doesn't have the puck in our zone. Mm-hmm. Only three games all year where he's had an XG share that's been under 50%, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, he's been he's been awesome, and I think, you know, we've even heard his name thrown out as as a Selkie, you know, kind of a sleeper candidate too, which is always oh, yeah. great. So, you know, I, I think we talked about kind of the crush we had on Anthony Sorelli and what he did in Tampa Bay last year. I think Euler connects <laughs> having a Anthony Sorelli-like season uh, for oh, yeah. a while, and I will no longer accept the take that Euler Knek is nothing more than a third-line checking center. He's an elite, probably second two-way second line center not in your prototypical production way but in but in the in that he plays a 200 foot game as good as anybody else in the league yeah no he's that like you said he's been great uh you know his his game his offensive style i think you know as you know we talked about is a little bit more like a zach prezi where it's from him just crashing the net going hard you know into the crease towards towards the other team's zone so no just he's a great all-around player i mean for me personally uh just to go off a little bit i i still think ideally I mean, I could be completely wrong. Like, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. But I still think ideally I would like him, if you're thinking of a true contending team, I, I would for some reason still think that he would be, you know, best if you if he was the third-line guy. But, uh, you know, I, I could be completely wrong. And, I mean, obviously if he if he continues to, you know, if he still continues to, you know, produce offensively like he does along with, you know, like you said, all the great defensive impact that he has. And, uh, you know, obviously with his uh, skills of agitating the other team and just mixing it up, uh, no, that's a – very valuable player and uh, you know another guy that people haven't you know really talked about but another guy that's if he keeps it up is going to get paid this summer yep for sure um and and i don't don't disagree that you know on a true stanley cup team he's a third line center but i think on you know 20 teams in nhl they'd be happy to have them as happy to have them as their second line center for sure um i think it's just a luxury you can kind of put them in in either role hey we want you to drive a line or hey, we need you to shut down a line. And the reality mm-hmm. is no matter where Jewel Erickson Eck has played this year, that line has arguably been the Wild's best line in, in terms of oh. possession. And, you know, the common denominator is pretty obvious. It's it's Eck. So, and a guy, too, that just sounds like, you know, we're talking about Nico Sturm busting mm-hmm. his butt. You know, I, I honestly, Nico Sturm's comp might be Jewel Erickson Eck. Is the ceiling there? Maybe. But there's a lot of similarities to me, and at least the two the way, 
the way the two guys play hockey. But yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, that's all I have, Zeke. Any uh, any final thoughts here before we sign off? Um, you know, just the two of us, we managed to still go over an hour somehow. But uh... oh, it's been pretty over an hour. Oh, yeah. I mean, so we know yeah, no, it's guess... not Justin's fault now. It's definitely no, it's not. No, it's just just a lot of well i mean it's still with me when i talk sometimes i my mind goes in a million different places at once so oh, a lot God. of the so there i think there were several from each of us like seems like five minute uh tangents in there but uh, That's what no it's so great oh yeah it's, it's, it, it <laughs> it's is the unplanned been, rants oh yeah no it wasn't uh as i said i think i held back a little bit uh gave myself the 24-hour rule on the whole uh, Prize thing, which was good. Uh, you know, I'm generally a lot better than I used to be with, uh, you know, getting into fights on Twitter or anything because, you know, it's it's not worth it. Uh, there's no need to do that. So I, you know, I'm somewhat happy with myself that I, I just, you know, I said what I thought and, you know, just didn't get into it too much. But, anyways, just the last thing that I want to ask you is do you think that Ryan Suter actually eats pre made fettuccine Alfredo meals from Quick Trip? Like, does he? <laughs> Part of me thinks he that's like totally something Ryan Suter would do. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like, I feel like if Ryan Suter wasn't a hockey player, he would just be like the most boring person ever. Oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like and I, I don't mean this in a mean way to Ryan Suter, but it just seems like he doesn't have a personality. Like he's mm-hmm. like he's got like a librarian or like an accountant kind of like personality. Yeah. It's like like when surprise you if Suter's like, ah, I don't want to cook tonight. I'll just go to Quick Trip and grab a chicken Alfredo. But, like, no slide on Quick Trip. I actually ate there, like, when money was tight in college. My roommate and I would go get – their chicken sandwiches there are delicious. And they also have these, like, cheese roll-up things. They're, like – it's, like, a stuffed okay. cheese stick. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Like, like obviously, I'm not going to – you know, it's not a, it's yeah, not a no. healthy dinner. But as far as gas station food goes, there are, there are worse things you could have. But – no, that's an excellent mm-hmm. question. And then I wanted to chime in too on your your uh, your thing about mm-hmm. getting into fights on Twitter. I found basically all I have to do is basically just quote tweet someone, and then I just get um, the wild Twitter group just jumps on them and it shuts oh, them up yeah. pretty quick. So thanks to all of the uh, the supporters and followers who basically just mm-hmm. helped me dunk on on stupid <laughs> accounts because I don't really have to argue anymore. It just becomes a team effort, and they back oh, yeah. pretty oh, quick. So. For sure. Um, all right. That'll do it for today's show, Zeke. Before we sign off, uh, where can people find uh, you and your work? Uh, you, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at uh, ZBWildNation underscore HW. And then you can find uh, my written work at HockeyWilderness.com. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Recently put out an article today uh, diving into uh, how Kirill Kaprizov's um, expected goals um, reflect his actual production and whether or not we should be concerned areas he can improve things of that nature that's pinned on my profile and on medium as well so make sure you subscribe to me there check that out retweet it let me know what you think and then uh, make sure you are following the podcast account as well on twitter at sound the foghorn as well as on instagram at sound the foghorn that'll do it for tonight's show back next week uh, on thursday again uh, with aaron lowry uh, Minnesota Wild social media expert will be joining us officially this time. I think we'll have the audio squared away. So if you have questions, make sure you start sending us those those uh, those our way. We have the ones from last time, so no need to resend them. But really looking forward to having her join the show. Um, in the meantime, the Wild have the Coyotes twice and the, the Knights twice. Uh, but we'll talk to you again on Thursday. This has been another episode of Sound the Fire.